it is with fear and trepidation I'm standing before you tonight because we're going to consider a theme uh, that needs uh, special protection. Uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 and we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 which talks about the devil and the spiritual battle uh, that we're in. And from past experiences, uh, whenever uh, one deals with this kind of area, uh, you can be guaranteed that a spiritual attack uh, is on the horizon. Uh, so may we have an attitude uh, of seeking uh, the blood of Jesus Christ to protect us uh, against uh, the enemy. So let's just read verse 8. I don't think we'll have time to look at verse 9. Verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, does it surprise you that immediately after talking about humbling ourselves, Peter comes on to talk about the devil and his temptation? Because one of the foremost temptations of the devil is to pride. Isn't that what was behind uh, the serpent's suggestion to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Uh, that if she eats of the forbidden fruit, she will be like God. Isn't that uh, something to do with pride? And uh, Peter himself, I'm sure, is writing this exhortation with a bitter remembrance of how he failed in uh, resisting the devil. So Peter writing to his readers and we who are reading his letters, even though 2,000 years later, we're in a spiritual battle, my friends. Have you realized that the moment you are converted, you have an enemy and you got to uh, be uh, aware of that. So without further ado, I want to mention a few things with this spiritual battle. Uh, when you're in a war, you've got to be aware of certain things. And the first thing is this. You've got to know who your enemy is. Know your enemy. Let's look at uh, the enemy here. Uh, Peter, be sober. What does that mean? Be self-controlled. Be alert. Be vigilant. Watchful. Think of the words of Jesus Christ to Simon Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray that he enter not into temptation. What did Peter do? He certainly didn't watch because he was fast asleep. Are we awake spiritually? Think of uh, the saying, was it in the Second World War? I wasn't around at the time, but some of you might have been. Wasn't there a saying, carelessness cost lives? Am I right? And isn't the same true of the spiritual battle? If, if we're uh, drowsy spiritually, then we are already uh, giving a place to the devil. So know your enemy. Who, who is the devil? He was a, an angel, a pure, perfect angel called Lucifer. And he wanted to be like God, pride again. 
and that caused his downfall. He was expelled from heaven, and ever since that day, he has roamed God's creation, seeking to destroy it. Know your enemy. He is the adversary. Uh, He is uh, the one who is completely against uh, the Lord and his people. And there there are two dangers, aren't there, when it comes to knowing the devil. Uh, C.S. Lewis. Have you read C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters? A brilliant book on temptation. If you've not read that, you need to get hold of it. And in the start of that book, C.S. Lewis mentions these two extremes. The first extreme is to underestimate him and to uh, treat him as if he doesn't exist. And you don't hear much talk among Christians today about the devil. Uh, We don't sing that often hymns about the spiritual battle. Uh, There are even Christians who joke about the devil. Now, we shouldn't do that. He's a very powerful foe. He's more powerful than anybody here this evening. The danger of underestimating him. But then there's another danger, and that is we overestimate him, and we become paralyzed by him. What did John say? Yes, he's mightier than us, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let's beware of those two extremes. Um, Can I just give you some facts here about the devil? He's not omnipresent. What does that mean? He can't be everywhere at the same time. God is. The devil isn't. Usually when we're tempted, it's not Satan himself that's tempting us, but one of his demons. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? That the devil can't be everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. What's that? He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know your thoughts. God can see your innermost desires. The devil can't. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. Do you know what? The devil is on a leash. And that leash is held by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even when we're tempted, the Lord has made sure that we're never going to be tempted more than we can cope. Isn't that encouraging? So, so know your enemy. That, that's the first thing. And then the next thing, and this is what I want us to concentrate on this evening. Know his strategy and tactics. What, what are those? Well, in a war, an enemy uh, will have an overall aim. Uh, and the devil has that. Do you know what his overall aim is? It says here, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, seeks whom he may devour. Do you know what the devil wants to do? He's not allowed to do it, but if he had his way, he would completely destroy you and me. That's his strategy. But praise God, he's not going to be able to do that. He's going to be able to make us miserable, but he's never going to be able to rob us of our salvation. And then there are tactics. These are specific things to bring the overall strategy to pass. So let's look at uh, how the devil's tactics are described here. I find the picture here very, very interesting because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Now, have you seen lions on um, nature programs? Uh, A better translation of walk is prowl. I'm not going to do an impression of a lion, but 
you've seen, haven't you? Silently prowling around their prey. They're looking for the weakest one. They're looking for an opportunity to pounce. And then they don't just prowl. They sometimes lie in ambush. They're not doing anything. They're completely silent. And then when the opportune moment comes, they strike, they roar, they attack. And isn't the devil like that? He can get us by stealth. The prowling, the lying in ambush. Paul said to the Corinthians, he can transform himself into an angel of light. What does that mean? It means he can come across as a nice person. Have you ever wondered why heretics are so nice? There's nothing unpleasant about false teaching, is there? There's nothing that warns you that this teaching is going to ruin your soul. It's something attractive about it. Like a poisonous snake. The most poisonous snakes and poisonous spiders are the most colourful ones. Um, I think it's Spurgeon who said, the devil is good at morality. Spurgeon, of all the devils, the most devilish is the saintly hypocrites. So if a person is outwardly moral, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a Christian. That The devil can do morality better than the church can. Um, Bob Dylan in Slow Train Coming said, the enemy I see wears the cloaks of decency. That's what we've got to be afraid of, my friends. Not the obvious enemy, but the one that appears as a sheep. A wolf in sheep's clothing, said the Lord Jesus Christ. So can you see how the devil can hunt by stealth? He's prowling around. He's quietly lying in wait. If he can't make us miserable, he'll try and make us happy. That's frightening. He will drug us into a false state of happiness. Uh, Do you know what Samuel Rutherford said? Uh, Samuel Rutherford was, I think, a Puritan. Uh, That's where you would label him. And he put it like this. The devil's war is better than the devil's peace. Isn't that good? When the dog is kept out of doors, he howls to be let in again. If the devil is out of doors, he'll make more of a noise. I I think I'm agreeing with Rutherford. I dread a spiritual calm. The worst temptation is not to be tempted. At least when there is a strong temptation, we know that the devil is worried about us. So let's look this evening at these roarings of Satan. So there are different tactics. He will turn into an angel of light. He will prowl around, lying in wait. That's one tactic. But then, if he can't get us in that direction, he will come and he will attack us head on. The roars of the devil. Uh, I think in Ephesians chapter 6, you've got something that's uh, similar to this. The fiery darts 
of the wicked one. That's another example of the rose of the devil. Let me go through a few rows of Satan. I wonder, have you experienced any of these? The first roar is this, the roaring of strong temptation. You know what that is, don't you? Suddenly there comes into your mind a temptation towards sexual immorality, uh, towards coveting something. It wasn't there before, but suddenly it comes. That, incidentally, is how you tell the difference between something that comes from within, indwelling sin, that comes gradually, and something that comes from the devil. It's sudden. We've all got our besetting sins. That sin we're prone to, that weakness which the devil is aiming for. Do do you know what it is with you? Um, I have to be careful how I say this. But so many pastors in our circle in the last few years have fallen. There, There are preachers who've preached as the main speakers in some of our conferences and they've fallen spectacularly usually to sexual immorality doesn't have to be that it could be financial impropriety but there's been a terrible fall the devil the devil and do you know what's behind that often before that fall do you know what comes pride That's why before this talk about the devil, Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Is it in the Proverbs we have the verse, pride comes before a fall. Paul writing to the Corinthians said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, we've been putting preachers up on a pedestal, haven't we? Should it surprise us that they've fallen then spectacularly? If we've surrounded them with praise, should it surprise us if they've thought themselves invincible? Can I say this anecdote? Uh, There was a well-known conference somewhere in North Wales. I don't think this conference is still going. A very big conference. And they had meetings happening at the same time. And in one meeting was a very famous preacher... He's written many books, and we've all been helped by his books. I won't mention his name. He's a godly man. He was preaching. And in another meeting, Gwyn Williams was preaching. Now, we all know Gwyn Williams and hold him in high esteem. But many people in this conference had never heard of Gwyn Williams. So they were all going, most of them, to hear this famous preacher. And they were saying, who is this Gwyn Williams? We don't want to hear him. We want to hear this famous preacher. He's our hero. And a few people went to hear Gwyn Williams. But you know, somebody else came to that Gwyn Williams meeting. The Lord came and spoke through Gwyn Williams. And my point is this. If we treat our preachers not as some heroes, but as God's servants, and as those who will speak the word of God to us, and our desire is, oh, that the Lord will speak to us, maybe we will see less spectacular failings. So that's one area. The roar of sudden temptation. None of us are immune to that. I once heard a man say uh, that it is possible for a Christian to reach a level where he isn't likely to fall. 
to spectacular sins. That's utter nonsense. If we think we've reached a certain level, then we've already become a target of the enemy. Oh, my friends, can I ask, pray for me, pray for pastors. We're on the front line of the spiritual battle. The devil is making us his prime target. Oh, surround us with your prayers, please. So that's one roar. And then there's another roar. And this is horrible. The roaring of accusation. The word adversary here, do you know what it means? It's a term that's used in a court of law. It's a legal term. It's somebody who makes an accusation against a person. And another way of thinking about this picture is not so much of a lion, but of an enemy who's going around the world looking for things he can use against believers. And don't we know something about that? Oh, we can sometimes have Satan come to us and he can whisper in our ear, so you call yourself a Christian then. How can you be a real believer if your heart is often cold to the Lord? How can you be a genuine Christian if you fall into that sin? Yes, that sin. And you've fallen into it hundreds of times. How can you be a real believer if you don't spend time in prayer how can you be a genuine follower of jesus christ if you don't delight in his word and on and on he goes he reminds us ah the picture is incomplete the devil's the prosecutor but there's a defense lawyer <laughs> um have you seen uh, that program on netflix the making of a murderer a very powerful documentary and the man that the documentary is about is still in jail but in the recent uh, installment of it he's had a new defense lawyer and she looks quite formidable oh to have that person as your defense lawyer my friends you've got somebody better Listen to the hymn. We'll be closing with it. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. Who's my defense lawyer? Who's your defense lawyer? He's a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan, think of the book of Job, Satan in heaven uh, accusing Job before God, saying to God, Job isn't real. If he had things going badly for him, he would fall. Oh, Job had a defender in Jesus Christ. Oh, the hymn goes on to say, this is what we have to do when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Well, what do you do? Do, do you just let him uh, get you to stew in your guilt? Oh, upward I look. And see him there who made an end of all my sin. Isn't that why the Saviour has given us the communion? To remind us of his victory over the devil? I remember listening to a sermon of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this kind of theme. And he was talking about what you do when the devil accuses you in that way. And I'll never forget a phrase that he used. He said, show him the blood. Tell him that the Saviour has died. Show him the blood. So the roaring of strong temptation, the roaring of accusation, and then there's another roaring. 
I think this is the worst. Maybe not everybody here will have experienced it. The roaring of a spiritual attack. Have you ever had a full-on satanic attack? Martin Luther. If you want to read about the spiritual battle, read Martin Luther. Uh, he's ve <laughs> very plain speaking. Martin Luther was translating the Bible into German. The translation is still with us today. Very lively translation. He was in the Wartburg Castle in central Germany doing it. You can visit the room today where he did the work. And the devil didn't want the Bible to be translated into German. So he made a point of attacking Martin Luther. I'm sure Martin Luther had Satan himself come to him in that room. And he put thoughts into his mind, not just unclean thoughts now, but blasphemous thoughts, horrible, horrible, devilish things. And it was so real. Do you know what Luther did? He had his ink pots and he threw the ink pots at the devil. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Be gone. Be gone. Now, we may not have an intense attack like that, but have you ever had an attack where suddenly, out of the blue, blasphemous thoughts come to you? Do, do you know what you have to do? Uh, this is Luther again. You have to say, they're not mine. The birds that fly over your head, you can't control them. You can stop them from nesting in your hair. But those birds are not your birds. Those thoughts are not my thoughts. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, um, full of examples of spiritual attack. Uh, one of the most frightening is what happened to Christian in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Uh, listen to this. Oh, just when he was come over against the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones got behind him and stepped up softly to him and whisperingly suggested many grievous blasphemies to him, which he thought had proceeded from his own mind. This put Christian more to it than anything that he had met with before, even to think that he should now blaspheme him that he loved so much before. That's the devil. That's the devil. Don't own them. We'll come next week to see how we deal with these things in detail. But resist. And he will flee from you. I want to finish on an encouraging note. <laughs> I don't want to send you all away thinking that we've got an enemy who is out to get us and we've got no hope. Just a few thoughts and I'll be done. Jesus Christ is stronger. Jesus Christ indwells you by his spirits. When the devil comes to you, remind yourself of Jesus' victory on the cross. The name of Jesus Christ has power. Bid the devil to be gone, not in your own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And then one thing, and this is from Pilgrim's Progress, realize that this lion 
is chained. You, you know, don't you, the picture in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Christian is coming up to the house beautiful, a picture of the church. Again, interesting. The devil is trying to dissuade him from joining the Lord's people. And he sees a lion. And he doesn't see the chains. He just sees a fierce lion. But he's told, don't worry. He's chained. Now, what did Christian have to do? Christian had to believe that and walk. Can you imagine him <laughs> shuffling his feet <laughs> past the lion? And the devil is chained. He's got no place in you and me. And we believe because the word says so. So don't fear him. But in the name of Jesus Christ... Go on and don't let the devil hinder you from following after the Savior. I think we need uh, next week to look in detail at how we resist the devil. Uh, may God enable us in these things for his name's sake. Amen.